Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you. We thank you that we get to learn who you are because of what your word tells us. And now, Father, as we get to hear your word, would you allow uh, your son to preach your word in a way that helps us understand you more? Let your spirit lead us. Jesus, it is in your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing as we read the word. Today's reading comes from uh, the book of Exodus, chapter 8, verse 20, through chapter 9, verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, the sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so. For the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians." If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So so Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh from his servants and from his people, tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. 
So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you. Good morning. Welcome to MacAv Community Church. Uh, for those who are already family, it's great to see you guys. For those of you who are new, oh, we'll get Bibles passing out. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, please. One of the pastors or Alex will get your Bible. So again, if you guys are new here, I'd really encourage you. If none of us have noticed you, please make yourself available to us and just come say hi so we can introduce ourselves and talk to you and, and just welcome you to MacAv. It's good to have you. One thing at MacAv we like to do is because we desire knowledge to turn into wisdom, to turn into action in our lives. It's not just about me preaching and you guys gaining knowledge. It's about you guys gaining wisdom so that it's applicable. That being said, if in the middle of me preaching you guys have a question, please feel free to raise your hand and we can talk through that, especially if it's pertaining to the scripture. If it's something you know that maybe you and I could discuss later and you want to wait, that would be great. Um, Let's just open up in prayer. Father, we know that your Holy Spirit gives sight to the blind, opens deaf ears, makes the lame walk, both physically and spiritually. So, Lord, I just pray and I would just ask you, Lord God, take your word, open our ears, open our minds. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Come saturate us. Take the blinders off, shed the callousness off our hearts, that we might hear your word and be obedient servants. In Jesus' name, amen. So the overall narrative of not only the book of Exodus, but this series of passages, as well as the entire narrative of Scripture, is God's redemption of his people. Today's specific definitive one is going to be God's mercy and Pharaoh's hard heart. So this week's narrative is very, very similar to the one Pastor Leon preached a couple of weeks ago, Plague's Promises and Pharaoh's Pride. We're going to briefly go through this discussion, but we're really going to focus on the singularly point found in this plague narrative, and that's the unrelenting hardness of Pharaoh's heart. Before we begin, I'd like to just briefly address what could potentially be a difficult subject, God's sovereignty and man's ability to choose, man's free will to choose. Scripture talks of both Pharaoh hardening his own heart and God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Romans 9 even quotes these passages. If you guys are familiar, Paul is talking and he says, quoting these verses, doesn't the potter, God the creator, have power over the clay, his creation, more specifically you and I, to create one vessel unto honor and one unto dishonor? In that same passage, Paul quotes again that God said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. And I, I, I know that these are difficult things. I wrestle with them constantly. 
But I would tell you that we're not going to really discuss the component of God's sovereignty as much as we're going to discuss the component of your and my responsibility, and that is in the keeping of a soft heart, walking in obedience and submission to the Father of lights. You know, again, at Mac, we constantly strive to pay attention to the entire narrative of the Scripture instead of just staying where we're comfortable or choosing a side and, and pushing over those scriptures that are difficult. What I just said, Jacob, have I loved? Esau, have I hated? Man, that, that just scratches at the core of me. But again, we're going to talk about some of the difficult things. So let's move on. Let's dive right into the text. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning, present yourselves to Pharaoh, and as he goes out to the water, say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me, or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and in your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people, tomorrow this sign shall happen. And if you look it up, you guys can do some research, but virtually all of these plagues that God brought on the Egyptians uh, was a direct confrontation to an existing Egyptian god. God goes, God the Father, Yahweh, goes head-to-head with each one of these gods, showing Pharaoh that he alone is singularly sovereign. Not that he needed to prove it, But I really believe, and again, we're going to discuss this a little bit later, later, in an effort to give Pharaoh an opportunity to repent. Imagine, now now envision this. If you look at the words that they use here, the flies were all over the ground, and they filled the houses. Think about how much, like a little, yeah, I see my wife, she's like, ooh. You know, think of a fly buzzing around your head. Now think about having a conversation with somebody, or brushing your teeth, And there's so many flies that they're getting in your mouth. Or you're walking around barefoot and you're crunching them under your feet because the Egyptians didn't wear shoes in their homes. I mean, he says, the author says that they were filled and on them. God here for the first time declares a distinction naming the Israelites as his people. And he he will be clear in bringing this division continually as we see Pharaoh and his people, the Egyptians, afflicted while the Israelites enjoy the protective, obvious hand of God. You know, and I wonder, we don't hear any commentary on how the Israelites perceived this. Here the Israelites have a choice, and this is the component that I'm going to hopefully just continue to expound on as we go through. The Israelites, they all observe the obvious hand of God in protection. But what are they going to do with that knowledge? Are they going to allow that knowledge to germinate into full-blown trust and assurance, or are they going to make allowance for some natural explanation? The author says um, in verse 22b that you may know, talking to Pharaoh, Pharaoh knew of gods as Egypt had many of them, but Jehovah makes it clear that he's the king of kings, he's the lord of lords, and it's going to become very evident to Pharaoh of, because of the, natu- or the supernatural afflictions. Whether Pharaoh acknowledges that is yet to be seen. There are degrees of knowing. 
the kind that's just an observation alone being a casual awareness that has virtually no lifestyle impact. And then there's a knowing in a communion sense, that of intimacy or affectedness. James 1.22 through 25 discusses this. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and once again forgets what he looks like. But the one, now listen to this, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer, who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The importance that we place on the information received oftentimes determines the amount that that information will affect our actions. When I walk in the back door, come home from work, Betty's cooking spaghetti, she's got a big pot of the noodles, she pulls that pot off, carries it over to the sink. My brain tells me, hey, don't go stick your hand on the metal grate. The information that I see affects my actions. Here, when it says about deceiving yourself, if I just said, well, that's not going to hurt because the burner's not on anymore, and I went and stuck my hand on it, that's foolishness. I'm not being a doer of the word. How often do we as believers observe, we taste and see the Lord's goodness, only to return to life unaffected? We dull our senses by not being believers who live lives of actions. The doer's mentality should always condition our actions. And my apologies, I don't know uh, where I got this quote. Salvation separates us from the world. Obedience characterizes our salvation. Separation separates us from the world. Obedience characterizes our salvation. Our salvation looks like how obedient we are. I'll give you another perfect example. There are numerous times in the morning I get up, finish praying, finish reading, I spend time with God. I go downstairs and Betty says something that I don't like and I bite her head off. Or there's been times Betty and I are just sitting on the couch having a great conversation, just talking, just enjoying it. And again, something will click, and I'll bite her head off. I'm not a doer of the word. I know better than that. My actions have not been affected enough by my love for my wife. I hope that you're going to be able to see this principle uh, that we're going to address as our main point of discussion today, and that's hard hearts. As we choose, so goes our life. As we choose, so goes our life. Whether unto obedience and soft hearts, or by becoming those that Jesus chastises in Mark eight seventeen, And Jesus, aware of these guys grumbling, they were talking about, where are we going to eat? He said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive and understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes you do not see, and having ears do you not hear? 
And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? These guys just saw a miracle, what, weeks ago, a month ago, a couple of months ago? They passed out five loaves of fish and five, or five loaves of bread, five fish, fed 5,000. And these guys are wondering now, like, man, I'm hungry. Where, where are we going to get food? And Jesus calls them to the carpet. You guys see and you hear, but your hearts are hard. Jesus says you have ears and hears, but are your actions, your minds, affected by the evidences that you saw me perform? So then we'll move on to 824 in Exodus. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the houses of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt. The land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. Moses understood clearly that this was unacceptable because the Lord was very specific in his command to go outside the gates. Question, do we see a hint of Pharaoh relenting by allowing the Israelites to leave? Verse 26, but Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? And in my mind, the first thing I ask myself is, it seems pretty odd to me that Moses is afraid of the Egyptians. Why wouldn't he be afraid of Pharaoh? Wouldn't Pharaoh's edict, if Pharaoh was able to let him go, wouldn't the Egyptians have to follow suit? Just a question. We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Pharaoh had clearly seen the hand of God. Why not acknowledge that? And why was he still fighting for the final word? Because he had eyes but no sight. Then Pharaoh says, plead for me. Is this possibly a battle we see between Pharaoh recognizing God for who he claims to be But for so long, Pharaoh has made the wrong choices that he almost feels compelled to continue to go that way. You know, I had a conversation with a friend this week, and we were talking, and I hope the young people are going to understand this. Relatively recently, the mortgage world was turned upside down because many people owned homes that they owed three or four or five hundred thousand dollars on that were only worth a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars. They were what's called upside down in their mortgage, and nothing that they could do would be able to alleviate that because the houses just were not worth as much as what they owed on them. And in some measure, I see the potential of this happening in Pharaoh's life. And part of the conversation we're going to have today about hardening our hearts is I don't want this to happen to you guys, where you get so upside down because you have for so long made wrong choices that when you finally are awakened, you're upside down. And you say, like, I can't make the righteous choice because all along I've gone this way. Look what's going on in these narratives. Time and time again, Pharaoh does these little things that it appears that God is offering Pharaoh mercy. But because he's so upside down and is consistently 
choice of wrongness, Moses feels like he doesn't have a choice. And I'm going to tell you straight up, all of us in this room have a choice. Might be painful, but we have a choice. My exhortation to you is don't get upside down in your faith. Don't allow your hearts to be hardened. You know, I'm, I'm going to just skip the scripture, but let's, let's move on. Moses, in humility here, pleads again. I mean, can you imagine that? Here's the guy that's torturing your people, and yet you're going to go offer to God and say, Man, Lord, will you please relent? Take the flies out. What great humility Moses had. God, again, in his mercy, answers. And it appears here that Pharaoh chooses again, per verse 32, Pharaoh chooses to harden his heart. Then the beginning of 9 through 7, here God brings more severe plagues. They continue to increase in effect. Note, and now listen to this. What, is, what does Pharaoh do? Hey, guys, go look and see what's happened at the Egyptians. Now, if Pharaoh didn't believe in the possibility of Yahweh, why would he care? He thought of himself as God. Again, I I keep coming back to God's doing something here. My other question is, did the Israelites take this additional deliverance from the plagues to heart, remembering later at the Red Sea? For example, that the Lord is our God. They, you know, again, there's a process here. We receive info. We process that info. And we either renew our mind with that info or we walk away in rejection, not having our actions affected by what we've heard. Then verses uh, 8 through 12, the severity increases again, this time even affecting the magicians. Commentators speak of the irony of the soot used from the kilns because these were the very furnaces that had brought so much sorrow into the Egyptians' lives. The commentators comment how ironic it is. Let us put, or man, let us remember how often the things that others have chosen to afflict us with, how often God turns the circumstances of those around, and those become a great glory that we can honor the Lord in and a growth in our lives. Think of Joseph. Think of his brothers, the wickedness that they did against Joseph, and then he was their deliverer. How about Daniel in the lion's den? Remember the guys who, like, set that whole thing up? Who ended up getting eaten? It wasn't Daniel. It was his accusers. Please remember those things. I'm troubled by the hardness of Pharaoh's heart and what that means to you and I. The discussion of free will and God's sovereignty is a difficult one at best. Many people refuse to address the texts that clearly show God does certain things because he's God. He says he hates Esau. Man, that, that's, a hard, that's a hard text. And then there's others who will ignore similar scriptures that vividly express man's absolute freedom and ability to choose on a daily basis whether we're going to walk that narrow road or not. The bottom line is, man is responsible even in the midst 
of God's sovereignty. That's what we're called to. That's what we see in the scriptures. If I read the text of the plagues accurately, I sense some sort of back and forth where God and Pharaoh are the players. Why didn't God, in his sovereignty, just blast Pharaoh into oblivion? Why did he slowly, slowly, slowly put the pressure on? Why did he answer Moses' prayer, even knowing that Pharaoh had lied and would continue to lie? I can only presume it's because God is merciful and continually gives men opportunity to repent. 2 Peter 3.9 says, God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Now, plain up, I know there's lots of commentators who would you know, disagree, so this is kind of a Matthew Rojek thing, but they, they would disagree that there's a battle going on in Pharaoh's heart and mind because of the scriptures that talk about God hardening his heart. But ask yourself... Look how many times Pharaoh relents. He sends to see if the uh, Israelites' crops or their, their animals are being killed. He asks Moses to plead for him. He says, yeah, you know what, I'll allow you to go. Again, I think Pharaoh was upside down. Pharaoh, Moses, Aaron, the Israelites, the Egyptians all saw the same sequence of events. Did they respond the same? Of course not. Why? Again, I propose it was because, in some measure, they continued to choose previously unwise decisions. As believers, we create habits that are both good and bad. And the bad, unless they're interrupted by the Holy Spirit or by us renewing our minds with the Word of God, are going to continue to translate into poor and wrong choices, making it continually more difficult to turn to choose righteously. That's why we stress constantly at Mac the idea of not just reading the scriptures, but the, the additional component of allowing the scriptures to simmer in our brain and ruminate on them, to think on them, to meditate on them, so that we're not just looking in the mirror, and then we turn around and we walk away, and our lives are unaffected. That's the importance of meditation. That's the importance of letting the Holy Spirit take those scriptures that are the Word of God, that Romans says are the power of God unto salvation, and they ruminate in our minds, and they change us, and they affect us, so that our lives of actions are doers of the word and not hearers only. The cynic chooses the poison of bitterness. The proud chooses selfishly. And the one whom God redeems must purposely, continually, and intentionally choose obedience, especially in the midst of painful pressures that would turn us to a non-narrow path. So, I want us to take one step backwards and look at a scripture, uh, chapter 7, verse 22, because I I think this speaks just completely clearly what we're discussing here. Exodus 7, verse 22, But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts, so Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. And look at verse 23, how telling. Pharaoh turned, went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. Pharaoh just had an opportunity, looked in the mirror, and in that mirror he saw God, God greater than his magicians, 
God greater than anything Pharaoh could propose. And you know what he did? Yeah, okay. Turned around, walked into his house, didn't even take it to heart. That is the height of pride, stubbornness, rebellion, and worst of all, hard-heartedness. My exhortation to you is make right choices that your heart doesn't become hard. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm until the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So I think we see here at least two components that we must pay attention to. To remember, as James calls us to, to look into the perfect law of liberty. Notice what he calls it, the law of liberty. It's not the law of bondage. It's not rules and regulations. Because Christ knows that his law sets us free from ourselves. It sets us free from our own will. And in essence, we're honoring and glorifying God as we empty ourselves. You know, when the scriptures say, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. He who finds his life is the one who loses it to Christ. It's not a law of bondage. It's not a law of rules and regulations. His word says his yoke is easy. His burden is light. The other component is to be not a hearer only as Pharaoh or even if we look at the goats that Jesus tells us in Matthew, the final day of judgment. Do we have devotions or are we devoted? Do actions of righteousness mark our lives that those around us would naturally proclaim? And bring honor and glory to the Father? Or do we half heartedly read the scriptures, walk away unchanged in our minds, unaffected in the outputs of our lives? Now, another warning do not allow sin to fester and harden in our hearts. Quit choosing sin, or one day you will find that it is your master all over again. Sin blinds, sin hardens, and the more we choose it, the more it affects our actions and potentially our future actions. As we choose wrong, we are building that habit of choice in our lives. You know, I think it was four years ago, one day Betty says, man, do you know, my, Betty's my wife, she says, do you know that every time... I ask, she asks me something, I say no, and I'm all, no, I don't. (laughs) No, I'm not kidding you. And I was amazed to find how often, I'm not kidding you, everything she said, I I would, in one way or another, say no. And it's because I got in a habit, and finally, I mean, it was just the stupidest thing. She says, hey, can you pull up to the curb and drop me off there? I'm all, no. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. So the point is, I had hardened my heart 
I had built myself up, and I didn't even know that I was saying no to her. I just kept doing it because it was a stupid habit. Now, you guys are laughing, and I'm glad you're laughing. But think about the potency of that as we choose evil, as we choose disobedience, as we choose rebellion, as we choose to harden our heart. Man, now, now, can you go to the next one? Uh, how about one more? No, 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 I'm sorry, backwards. Backwards again? Uh, wow, okay, something missing. Okay, I want to read this to you guys. A guy named Chadwick, I quoted him. This is breathtaking. Honestly, would you guys shut your, shut your eyes? Close your eyes and listen to this. The drunkard, the murderer himself, is a man who at first did evil as far as he dared and afterward dared to do evil which he once would have shuddered at. I'm going to read it again. Put, put your sin in here. The drunkard, the murderer himself, is a man who at first did evil as far as he dared and afterward dared to do evil which he once would have shuddered at. Go ahead, open your, open your eyes. I mean, do you guys hear what he's saying? You and I look at certain sins and we say, man, never in a million years would I do that. Want to bet? Keep choosing wrong. Keep choosing sin. And your sin can turn into that. You know, I'd like to give you an example. Well, no, I'm not going to do that. Anyways, man, I, I'm not kidding you. I wish you guys would reread this. The drunkard, the murderer himself, is a man who at first did evil as far as he dared. How, how, how much can I get away with? And afterwards dared to do evil, which he once would have shuddered at. I mean, man, that, that scares me. That should scare you. Sin can sink its talons into your heart so that the rooting out of it is going to be so painful, you are going to scream. But the Lord offers us a way out. Deuteronomy 30.11 says, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. Now, if you guys want to go back... There's a context here that, that the scriptures are talking in, in Deuteronomy. Go ahead and read previously. They're going into the land of milk and honey, and I, I'm pulling this, this scripture out. I'm not pulling it out of context, but I'm just telling you, this is what the scripture says. If you want to read beforehand, please do so. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. The right choice is not too hard for us. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil, if... If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by, by loving the Lord your God, choice, by walking in his ways, choice, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of. But if you turn your hearts away and you will not hear, 
but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. Man, I don't want that but in my life. God has not asked the impossible of us. He's not left us to our own devices. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-19 talks about we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Are you a believer? You're a new creature. That stuff that used to bind you before is gone because you are not under the authority or the power of sin. God has given us the ability and the power to choose rightly and to choose to reject sin. We were in darkness before, and we didn't have that option. He's given us that option, and that's exactly what it is, an option. Will you choose today? Will you choose life? Or will you choose to bury your head in the sand and continue to nibble on the apple of sin until your heart becomes so hard that the thing that you abhorred abhorred before, hey, that's not so bad. It's not that big of a deal. God will forgive me. It's just a sin. And he's not left us powerless. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Look at what, man, you guys were with us through the book of Acts. Look what those guys did. We have the same Holy Spirit. You've got the same power. He's not an absent God. Matthew 28, 18, he says, man, I'm with you to the end of the age. Locked arms, shoulder to shoulder, he's with us. And he's not an impotent father. In Christ, we, he's adopted us. Ephesians 1.5 and Colossians 1.13 says, We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Wow. Your last name is his name. You are sons and daughters of the Most High. You've got power. And the best thing is you have the freedom to choose righteousness. That is wasn't the case before you were translated out of the kingdom of darkness. We were bound in sin, hopeless and helpless, but Christ, by his atoning death on the cross, nailed the handwriting of ordinances that was against you and I. He nailed it to the tree. That no longer has my name on it. That's not my covenant. My covenant is with the Father, Jehovah. Are you in bondage today? Has sin overwhelmed you? Are you powerless? Are you ashamed? Are you feeling forsaken? Be assured, dear brother and sister, life is set before us. And our salvation has provided the, capital T-H-A. Our salvation has provided the way of escape. Are you upside down in your mortgage to the Lord? Have you chosen wrongly? There is redemption. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to give us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Bible says, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Are you in a covenant relationship with the Father through his Son, full of the Holy Spirit? There is no shame. He's redeemed you. 
He calls you his own. But I will exhort you. You can and you must choose today who you're going to serve. And you've got to do it in an hour from now and two hours from now. Tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, two weeks from now. It's a continual choice. But I can guarantee you, as you exercise that muscle of righteous choice, you're going to continue to choose the right thing, and it's going to get better. The yoke's going to be lighter. You're going to have more victory. Are there going to be struggles? Man, absolutely. Absolutely. But I want to assure you one thing. Shame and fear are from the pit of hell. They are not from your heavenly Father, who's given you the keys to the kingdom. He's given you the Holy Spirit. I mean, I think I say this almost every time I preach. When Jesus is getting ready to ascend, the disciples say, hey, man, don't go. He says, I got to go because if I don't go, the Father's not going to send the Holy Spirit who's going to come to you, and he's going to reveal to you the things that he's talked in heaven with the Father about. He's going to reveal them to you. I mean, wow, praise the Lord. So, Let me say this, if you're ashamed right now, if you're in fear right now, if you're feeling powerless, if you're feeling hopeless, and you're a believer, A, that's not your lot. B, come on down afterwards, and let's lay hands on you, and we'll pray for you. We'll have a group of believers lift you up, ask the Lord to redeem this whole thing, and give you the hope of the gospel. That's what the hope of the gospel is. That's what the hope of communion that we're going to celebrate in just a couple of minutes is. That Christ does not have to die each and every time we take communion. Once and for all, king and high priest, it's a done deal. It's a done deal. You're in covenant relationship with the God of the universe. So let me just ask you a couple of questions. Do you know of a particular hardness of heart or sin that you harbor to keep alive by choosing it over Jesus' will? And if so, will you labor to divorce yourself from it? Two, do you seek the counsel of truth talkers who will help you address sin in your life? And if not, why not? You guys who know MacAv or have been going here or involved in discipleship know that that's a huge component of discipleship. I can only see as Matthew Rojek's environment, Matthew Rojek's choices, Matthew Rojek's personality allows me to see. I can't see some other perspectives. That's why you guys are in my life. That's why I have a discipler. That's why I go to Mac group. That's why I come to hear the scriptures from Leon, from Alvin, from JD, from Eric. Because I can only see what I can see. And that's partially blinded. I only got a small piece of the pie. That's why we're in discipleship relationship. That's why we're in community. So that we can enliven our global spiritual perspective on life. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Do you renew your mind daily with God's word and endeavor to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? And again, I I just exhort you, let's not just read the scriptures. Let's chew on them. Let's regurgitate them. Let's memorize them. So as we're walking down the street, going through our mind, going through our mind, going through our mind, given us the opportunity to make righteous choices. So let me end by this. Again, you guys want to come up for prayer afterwards? Man, come on down. 
absolutely love after communion to pray for you. And I'd exhort you, if you're here and you're not a believer, you don't understand what we're talking about, maybe you've never understood it completely, maybe you've never taken a step to say, man, you know what, I think it's time that I turn my life over because I know that I need a Savior. I know that there's something screwed up in my mind, something screwed up in my heart. I don't understand what you guys are saying. Please, please. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today. We don't know that we're promised tomorrow. If that's you and you're here and, and you don't know who the Lord is or the stuff that we're talking about just all sounds jargon or some different language, man, after service, please come on down. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to introduce you to Jesus Christ. We'd love to pray with you. So we're going to do two things. We're going to have uh, offering.